Well, hello, thanks for worshiping with us today and uh, welcome to my home again. You know, I know this time is crazy with so many challenges and so many adjustments that we're all making. I know time at home has some real benefits and it also has some opportunities for growth. Um, I know our family has just found some downtime and time to uh, take some walks at night, to play some new games, to watch a couple of movies, and also just try to make the most of this time that we're spending together. We've tried to stay in touch with our extended family, with our small group, with our neighbors, and also with those that uh, live around us, just trying to walk through this together. I know it can be unsettling, you know, as a man, as a husband, a father, as a church leader, I'm constantly just wondering like, you know, God, what's my next step? How do I continue to move forward? How do I lead others through this? And I'm finding some comfort, first of all, in the Psalm 91 post that people from our congregation are providing. And uh, each one of those is encouraging me as I hear God's word over and over. I know the worship songs I listen to during my run in the morning has just really provided me encouragement and just reminding me of God's faithfulness and his truth. I'm, I'm reading through the Bible right now and I'm in Joshua and Judges and many times throughout those books, uh, God just asked uh, people of Israel to remember what he has done for them, how he's delivered them. And that's bringing me lots of encouragement. And I'm also finding peace and hope and direction in our study through the book of John. You know, I'm really proud of our team here at Crossroads. I'm grateful for the adjustments they're making on a regular basis. I mean, trying to uh, worship together as we're all divided in homes and scattered all across this community, it's quite challenging. But I hope that you see us uh, trying to find ways that we can engage with our church family, for ways that you can worship God in, in meaningful ways and, and find encouragement from his word and, and by being together through uh, the ways that technology allows us to do that. You know, all the while heeding the recommendations of our government officials and the, the medical professionals and the CDC. And we continue to make adjustments. And so I thank you for engaging with us in worship and leaning in. You know, one of the things we discussed is should we um, just take a break from our study through the book of John and, and maybe look at some things that are more relevant in scripture to this time we're walking through. But you know, I'm deeply convinced that this is a providential moment for the life of our congregation. As I continue to read through the book of John, I see so many ways that this practically applies to where we find us uh, ourselves facing this COVID-19 uh, scenario. And so I pray that as we look at John chapter 5 today, that you'll be encouraged. So I want you to grab a copy of the Bible, whether you want to use that uh, an electronic device or you have a copy of the scriptures or hard copy. I'd encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 5. You know, if you're part of our church family, congratulations. We've now made it through the first four chapters of John. And if you're new to the Crossroads family, I just want to let you know that we've made a decision throughout this entire year to, to look through the book of John to try to learn how to live and love like Jesus. It helps us as we deal with something like the coronavirus, but also it gives us direction how to live every day of our life. Today, we're gonna to see another encounter that Jesus has with a person who was ill and, and see him reveal his identity and also his power. John labels this as the third sign that Jesus shows that is proof of his messiahship and, and of his deity. If you're using your journal and you've made that list of signs, I would encourage you to, to write down this miracle we're gonna to see today. You know, last week we saw a man come to Jesus who was full of faith, who was desperate to have Jesus heal his son. 
And he not only received a miracle, but also he came to know who Jesus truly is. Not just miracle worker, but savior. And today we encounter a man who we never see place their faith in Jesus, but is healed nonetheless. So I ask that you would join me in reading John chapter five, beginning in verse one. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Since uh, this is Palm Sunday weekend, I think it's cool to see Jesus entering Jerusalem in this moment to participate in a religious festival. This specific festival is not identified, but we know that Jesus was there on a mission, on a purpose. And we will see him make this journey several times throughout the next couple of chapters. It seems like his purpose for going to Jerusalem that day was to encounter this man who was sitting with a, a large number of people who were sick or disabled or impacted physically by illness or disease. They gathered under the porches around a pool called Bethesda, and that word is translated as House of Mercy. It can also stand for Two Springs. I thought it was interesting that the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center is also called the Bethesda Naval Hospital. It's one of the most prominent U.S. military medical centers near Washington, D.C., and it has a reputation across our country and world. Uh, it's treated many of the U.S. presidents there in the 20, 20th century, and it gets its name from this encounter that Jesus has with this man who is paralyzed. The location was rumored to provide some healing when waters were stirred by an angel. I don't know if you noticed as we read through those uh, verses that there actually is no verse four in chapter five. And that's because in the original manuscripts, there weren't any verse numbers. The original manuscripts don't contain any verse numbers to look up. But there's a footnote that's down at the bottom of my NIV text that reads this. It's what chapter four or verse four would say. From time to time, uh, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. The first one into the pool after such disturbance would be cured of whatever illness they had. Now, we're not sure if that's actually true or not, if that actually happened. And we certainly know that the source of all healing is God. Last week, we, we talked about the faith, that faith is the beginning of reason. And I want you to know that there's actually archaeological proof that this place, Bethesda, actually existed. It was there with two pools that were covered by five porches. If you go to the Holy Land today, you would find this location as St. Anne's Church. You know, there are historical facts that help us have faith in God's word to be true. But as we learned last week from this father who, who had an ill son, our faith requires us to believe even without seed. The man who encounters Jesus in chapter five is lame. Now that's not like my dad jokes I tell all the time, but it was meaning that he couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. 
And Jesus comes up to him and asks him a pretty weird question. He says, do you want to get well? I mean, the obvious answer is yes, of course. I mean, this man had been sitting by this pool for many years waiting to be healed. And he tells Jesus that he hasn't ever had anyone to help him into the waters or someone always gets into the waters first. I mean, verse four kind of explains what he says in verse seven. But why does Jesus ask him this question? Oh, of course, there's lots of theories out there. Is the man really in need? I mean, have you ever driven by somebody who's begging and and asked yourself that same question? Is uh, this man making up excuses? Are his excuses legit? He seems to be rather whiny, maybe even uh, blamey. And and I know that's not even a word. You know, would he lose his income uh, from charity or from alms if he was healed? Does Jesus need him to do his part so that he can show some type of faith to be healed? Well, the good news is Jesus doesn't play games. He is a straight shooter. He's not manipulative because he doesn't have to be. He's fully God, which means he's omniscient. He knows all things. And his question to this man is a simple invitation, just like Jesus making to others when he said, come follow me, or are you thirsty, or can you give me a drink? Or who do you say I am? It's a chance for Jesus to reveal his true identity and show the heart and power of God. Just like he healed the boy in chapter four, Jesus heals this man just with his words. He says, pick up your mat and walk. You know, here's the first takeaway I see from this passage we're looking at this weekend is that Jesus is caring and capable. Jesus sees your financial situation, your health concern, the stress at work, or the stress you feel at home right now, trying to work remotely or homeschool the kids or keep sane in the middle of both of those. The strain in your relationships, the fear and anxiety you're feeling. He not only sees, he cares, and he can do something about it. Jesus heals this man with a powerful word. This is what Hebrews says about the word of God as actually manifest in Jesus. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three says this. In the past, God spoke to his ancestors through our ancestors, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he has made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus came into the world as the word, John 1 verse 1 says. He reveals all of God's character and power in the flesh. And so when we see Jesus have compassion on this man and heal him, we should take heart and know that that's how present God is and how capable he is. We're gonna give you a moment right now to just discuss this question. If you're gathered with your family in your living room at home watching this, or even if you're alone watching this, we encourage you to take out a journal or to text back and forth with a friend. I want you to think about this question. How have you seen God show up in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis? Or maybe it's some other crisis in your life. And if you're willing to be a little more vulnerable, maybe you'd answer this question. Where are you still waiting and trusting that God can and will. Talk about that right now and then we'll continue to look at this passage.
This man has been paralyzed for 38 years. You know, that kind of puts our quarantine of 45 days into perspective, doesn't it? Our family has been finding comfort and even courage by, by looking at stories of people who face difficult times in their life. One example of that is Anne Frank. She was living in Amsterdam in 1942 during World War II, and she was hiding in an attic for up to two years, only to then be captured and, and, and taken to a concentration camp where she actually died of an illness, typhus, in 1945. You might hear her story and ask, you know, where was God then? But we need to remember that sickness and illness and death are not from God, they're from the devil. And notice that Jesus healed one of the people laying at Bethesda that day, but not all. We must trust God's compassion, his power, and his sovereignty. It's not multiple choice. This man is healed by Jesus and and he's told to take up his mat. You can picture like a thin mattress made of straw. This man picks it up and begins walking as a sign that he is fully and completely healed. He's now strong. The story now takes a turn here, and I think that's where we see our second takeaway, and it's this. Jesus is concerned about the spiritual more than the physical. Let's continue reading in John chapter 5, now picking up at the second part of verse 9. It says this. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, since Jesus had slipped away into the crowd and was no longer there. Later, Jesus found this man at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. From chapters 5 to chapters 10, we see Jesus going back and forth to Jerusalem. He's celebrating feasts. He's teaching. He's healing. And we also see him facing a growing opposition and tension and even persecution from the religious leaders. They notice that this man is carrying his mat on the Sabbath, and they move close in for an interrogation. You know, the Ten Commandments command that we should, that God's people should honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It was referencing how God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. The Old Testament law instructed people to rest one day and to refrain from their normal daily work that occupied the other six days, and it included everyone in their house. Well, the religious leaders had created 39 different ways that work could be defined on the Sabbath. They were rigid, and they made this a a burden for the people, and they created it into something that God never really intended it to be. When I looked at the list of those 39 things, they were just ridiculous. I mean, things like you could only write two letters. You couldn't erase those two letters to write two new letters. You couldn't tie a knot or undo a knot. You couldn't hunt a gazelle. Those were the type of things they made up to kind of flesh out what it meant to not work on the Sabbath day. Well, the religious leaders didn't notice or acknowledge that this man who had been carrying his mat had been paralyzed for 38 years but was now healed. They were fixated on his disobedience to their man-made rules, and I think that shows a lot about their heart. They neglected the laws about caring for those who were suffering, their neighbor. 
That leads me to our next discussion question. Take a few minutes as a family to discuss this. I'm guessing that every parent probably already knows the answer. But if you're a child, what is a rule that your parents have made up that you really don't like? Can you think of one? Maybe if you're a parent, you might remember your childhood. There was a rule that your mom or dad made up, or, or maybe there's a rule at your school, or maybe there's a rule right now at your workplace that you just kind of find frustrating. Talk about that for a few moments, and then I'll come back and tell you a story about my childhood. One rule my mom had growing up is that you couldn't bounce a basketball in the house. Now, I enjoyed basketball. I had a goal in the backyard like many of you probably do. And so I loved to dribble around the house and I was pretty decent at dribbling. But there was one day where I was dribbling, certainly breaking her rule, and the ball bounced off my foot and in slow motion made its way toward this candlestick with a glass globe on it. And the slow motion continued as the ball hit that candlestick and it began to wobble. And before I could reach out and catch it, that globe fell through the ground and shattered in lots of pieces. You know, every rule has good purpose behind it. And it also usually has some history. You know, the purpose of the Sabbath was for resting, for sustainment, for, for renewal. It's God's creation and his command, and it's designed for his purposes, for God's work, not ours. The honoring of the Sabbath became a real tension point between the religious leaders and Jesus, and they accused him of breaking God's law, of being a demon. They even rejected him as Messiah because he healed people on the Sabbath. They focused on the physical and not the spiritual. And Jesus' response to them, recorded throughout all four Gospels, identified his identity and his mission. In Matthew 12, verse 8, it reads, Jesus saying that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mark 2, verse 27, records Jesus saying that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And in Luke 6, uh, it records Jesus getting ready to heal a man with a withered hand. And before he does, because it's on the Sabbath, he asks a question to the religious leaders. He says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? 
You know, we've been challenging our Crossroads family to make space for God this Lenten season. And none of us could have uh, expected or anticipated that we'd have a lot of time to fill on our hands. I ask you, how are you using this time? Are you finding it hard to focus on God? Are you making time with all the upheaval and all the interruptions to your normal schedule to find time to connect with him? You know, I wonder, is is this an opportunity for us to reorder our life, our priorities, the way that we live our life, to make God the center of our lives, not just the first thing on a to-do list? I'd encourage you to use some of this time to to go back and watch the February teaching night here at Crossroads. You can find it on our website at cccgo.com slash teaching night. There's actually resources provided for you to help you understand what the Sabbath purpose is and how you can live that out in our modern day world. I'd encourage you to especially use this time for a reordering of our lives around the practice of Sabbath. And remember, it's not just a physical rest. It is a spiritual encounter. Don't make the Sabbath into legalism or a burden, but a time to connect deeper with God. You know, Sabbath rest is is much more than just resting from physical labor. It's finding satisfaction in God. The man who healed was healed by Jesus. He's interrogated by the religious leaders. They want to know who told him to carry his mat on the Sabbath. They again miss the point that it's the same person who had healed him. This man didn't know who Jesus is or was. John says that that Jesus ran into him later at the temple. And I think Jesus actually sought him out because he had some more business to take care of with this man. John 5 verse 14 says this, See, you are well again, Jesus said to the man. And then he says this, Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You know, again, there's a lot of ideas about what Jesus means by this statement, but I'm going to give you my best informed interpretation. I feel like Jesus is saying your physical condition is not the biggest concern. It's your spiritual condition. This isn't the only time that Jesus challenged someone to stop sinning when he was healing them and teaching them. Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 through 8 reads this. Jesus stepped into a boat. He crossed over and came to his own town. And some men brought him a man with a paralyzed, who was paralyzed. He was laying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to this man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is, is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given this man so much authority. Jesus' mission here on earth wasn't physical, but spiritual in focus. He came to save us from our sins. When sickness and disease and death plagued a person, that concerned Jesus, but his ultimate concern is in their spiritual condition, is in the spiritual condition of our hearts. He wants people to be whole spiritually, to have abundant life, to live eternally. 
If you have a youth uh, in, in your home, like in sixth through 12th grade, I hope they're taking advantage, checking out the YouTube channel that the youth ministry here at Crossroads has created. Ross Langston, our youth pastor last week, did a great job talking about there is something that can't be canceled. And he talked about the disciples finding themselves in the middle of a storm in a boat with Jesus. He also reminded us of the moment where Peter was walking on the water and took his eyes off of Jesus. Jesus's focus was eternal and ours should be too. This is what Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You know, when we take our eyes off the physical or the temporary things of this earth and focus our hearts and minds on Jesus, we have peace no matter what happens. Listen to what Paul continues to say down in verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you're called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We make our ambition to serve others in the name of Jesus when we put our attention on the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And Jesus challenges us to remember that the spiritual condition of others is really the most important issue. I wonder, is there someone in your life that may be like this man who's been sick for 38 years and needs your help to have Jesus heal them physically or more importantly, to save them spiritually? How can you encourage someone to remain strong in their faith during this time? Maybe by sharing a psalm or or singing a song or or sharing worship together. How can you connect with your family or, or your small group, those you serve with, and maybe those that you can encourage to have hope and peace during this time? How can you and I live and love like Jesus more in this moment than ever before? You know, don't expect the world to understand or even applaud us when we do. Jesus faced this growing tension with the religious leaders head on. He continually stayed focused on his mission throughout the ministry on earth. And I think that leads us to our last takeaway. Jesus is confident in his identity. Listen to the last two verses that we'll look at today. John chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus came to do his father's work. Remember when he was a boy, 12 years old of age in the temple, when his parents lost him on their way back from uh, worshiping in Jerusalem. They, they found him in the temple finally. And he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? I think you could also say, he said, don't you know I would be doing my father's work? Jesus says in, in John chapter four, verse 34, that, that, that the work of God is, is his food. It's where he finds his satisfaction. 
He continued to declare this commitment even in the face of accusations, persecutions, even the punishment of his own death. He knew his identity as the son of God. He knew that he had equality with God. And he knew that that what was important to God. And he spent his time focusing on doing God's work. And he stresses that God is always working. He doesn't sleep or he doesn't slumber. He holds the world together at all times. And so that should give us confidence and hope in this truth. Jesus sees you. He knows what you're facing and where you are struggling. He not only sees, but he cares. So trust him to work in your life. Remember, he's most interested in our spiritual condition. And the ultimate healing that any of us can ever receive is to have eternal life. And he's capable of taking away our sins, no matter what we've done. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John, the same author, says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hear Jesus asking you, do you want to be saved? Accept his invitation to heal you spiritually by offering you grace and forgiveness. You receive it by placing your faith and trust in him, acknowledging that you can't do it on your own and you need Jesus' death on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Just like the man at the pool, Jesus is seeking you. If you're ready to accept his invitation today, I pray that you would, you would contact us. You can reach us at the church uh, number or, or even text us at 812-858-8668. You can respond right now in the chat and let us know that, that you want to receive Jesus today. And we want to walk alongside you and help you in that. Finally, I hope that all of us are learning how to live and love like Jesus and that we would have our eyes opened to see those who are hurting around us and offer to help them in Jesus' name. You know, as a church, we're continually to, continuing to identify and, and post ways that all of us can serve others during this crisis. You can find a list of those opportunities at cccgo.com COVID-19. And you can also use the Need a Neighbor platform to express a need that you might have, or also to be mobilized as the church to serve others in the needs in this community. That is the work of God. And so I pray that you would continue to lean into that and that we would all find our hope in Jesus and that we would share that hope with those around us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for teaching us from your word. God, thank you that not only the book of John relates to where we find ourselves relating to COVID-19, but the entire Bible teaches us your character, shows us your heart shows us, displays your power. And God, we need to know that you care about us right now. We need to know, God, that there is hope, there is healing, there is power in the name of Jesus. There, God, you have healing power. And for those who are ill right now, not only in our community, God, but across our nation, across this world, God, we pray that you would bring them healing. I pray that you would put a stop to this coronavirus, Lord. And God, I also pray that you would help us be strong, not just physically, but spiritually that we'd come to know Jesus for who he is. We would trust in him as our savior. We'd also just follow him as our Lord, that we would be busy doing the work that he spent his earthly ministry doing, caring and loving others and pointing them toward salvation. And God, I pray that you'd work through us as a vessel to bring glory and honor to, to you and to proclaim your name and to offer hope and healing in the name of Jesus. And God, that's who we pray right now. Amen.